Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When people find out that I grow organic, conventional, and have a degree in chemistry, they always ask me, what do you buy your food? I make sure my food says USA that was grown here because <laughs> we have some of the toughest standards. I mean, honestly, why would you go to the store and buy organic from a country where you are told don't drink the water? Hello and welcome to the first episode of season two of Farm Traveler. So in this season, we are going to be tackling organic versus conventional agriculture. How are they different? How are they the same? And to kick off the first episode of season two, we have April Clayton, who actually grows both organic and conventional crops, specifically apples and cherries. So April is going to talk to us about her operation, which is Red Apple Orchard, their family farm, how she got there, what their production looks like, and a lot of misconceptions that she sees consumers have about organic and conventional growing. So it's a great episode. April has a lot of really great wisdom that I'm sure you'll enjoy. So anyway, this is episode 53, the first episode of season two. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. All right, well, April Clayton, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Absolutely. So you are, you have red, you're part of Red Apple Orchards. You have a lot of background. You've got a PhD. We're going to talk about all things, kind of what you do. But before we start there, kind of tell us a little bit about your background, like what you're doing, how you got there and all that good stuff. So um, here at Red Apple Orchards, I farm with my husband and our two small kids. Um, I actually married into farming when I was um, in between uh, graduate school and undergraduate school. First uh, graduated from Florida State University in biochemistry, and uh, my first job out of college was actually in Washington State. Um, I worked at PNNL, which is Pacific Northwest National Lab, and uh, in there I did trace organic detection, um, which basically worked with uh, liquid chromatography, gas chromatography, mass spectrometry, uh, different analytical techniques commonly found in uh, food safety tests. And uh, then after that, I went on to University of California, Davis, where I got my degree in analytical chemistry, um, moved to Washington State, taught for one year at uh, Wenatchee Valley College, uh, and joined my husband here on the farm at Red Apple Orchards. And here at Red Apple, we grow about 85 acres of organic apples and about 65 acres of cherries. We're located on the eastern slope of the uh, Cascade Mountains and at a pretty good elevation and uh, next to the Columbia River. So we've got it pretty nice here. It sounds like it. That's awesome. So you you were in Tallahassee, Florida. You're an FSU fan. I am also an FSU fan. But I actually Correct. went. Yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, go Nose. But I went to UF. 
And funny story, we won the national title in 2013 when I graduated. So it was a great graduation present. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, so biochemistry and all that really cool stuff. So, you know, as somebody looking outside in from the agriculture industry, how important have you found that food safety is when people are developing crops or developing food? I mean, is it super important? Is it not important? What have you found? Yeah, food safety is extremely important. Anything we ingest in our bodies is extremely important that we know we know about and how it works. And you know, a lot of our new technologies, uh, biotechnologies, are great. They are super safe. They've been tested many times over. They are actually uh, helping us use less water. They are helping us use less chemicals. So it's really exciting. And not only that, just the plant breeding side, there has been some amazing developments. Um, you know, the Evercrisp, the Cosmic Crisp. Um, we have all these wonderful apples and the rootstocks that we have these day two are helping tremendously as well. Um, they're uh, helping us fight against things like nematodes so we don't have to fumigate the soils. So technology has definitely helped and I am really excited to see where it takes us. So going off of apples, I just thought about it real quick and I want to ask you, I saw something that said that there's like, I think 7,500 different varieties of apples. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> and I also found that, that apples are actually a member of the rose family. Yes. And actually, if you go to um, like in Europe where they have more boutique orchards and things like that, um, you see a lot of ro uh, roses planted at the end of orchards because they are in the same family. And so they take the same type of pests that infect an apple would infect a rose. So you can use the same inputs to treat them. So, yeah, it's, it's actually quite common to see roses at the end of orchards in uh, Europe. That's so cool. I did not know that. I'm going to try it one day. I'm hopefully not anytime soon, but I'm going to try to buy my wife apples instead of roses and see how that goes. Be like, hey, I mean, they're roses technically. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the rose family. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's a rose kind of and you can eat it. I mean, I mean, there you go. So you have both growing methods going on. You've got organic and traditional. Can you kind of walk us through those practices and kind of why you chose organic and traditional to grow your apples and your cherries? Yeah, actually, we started out 100% organic. Um, we just took our cherries out of uh, organic uh, just last year. Um, you know, we have such great growing conditions here in Washington State. We have four true seasons, low humidity, so we're actually really able to grow great organic food. And so we decided to go ahead and grow organic. You know, it's got some better premiums. And traditionally, organic fruit doesn't sit in the shed as long. It generally goes out the door faster. Um, we're finding that's not so much true anymore as the supply is becoming larger than the demand. And um, for our cherries, we felt that the, mat the, the, um, the market was saturated for organic cherries. And it was just cheaper. And we'd actually get a better production, larger um, larger crop size, uh, switching over to conventional. So those were some of the reasons why we decided to make that change. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know that, that, um, I mean, organic, you put not really less, but I mean, you like into the, into the crops, but you do things like natural pesticides and natural fertilizers, but it, I didn't know that the crop yield overall is smaller than traditional because you need larger land space to produce the same amount that you would with traditional agriculture. 
Yeah, and then also another thing too, I don't think people realize about organic farming is that the uh, inputs, the chemicals that we can use are a lot softer than conventional uh, farming. So they're not as effective. So we have to actually go through the orchard and spray two to three times more than we would a conventional orchard. And that was kind of dropping the production down because the trees didn't like to constantly be sprayed that much. So, you know, now that we're back to conventional, we're not spraying them as often and, and they're actually getting much healthier and producing more volume. Wow. Okay. And, and so in terms of organic pesticides and stuff, you're going to have natural things like peppermint oil, spearmint oil. Is that right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Lime cool. sulfur, things like that as well. Uh, generally we don't use lime sulfur till the, uh, at the, either at the end or at the beginning. Um, either after harvest or before bloom. But um, if you look at where organic originally came from, Europe, um, it originally started out being reuse and recycle. If it's found in nature, you can use it in organic. That's why something like lime sulfur, which is actually quite toxic, is perfectly okay to use in organic because it's, uh, it's found in nature. But when the message, when organic moved here to America, the message kind of changed a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's not kind of the same as it used to be. But I, I do, you know, think organic is a neat way to farm, but it's just a different way to farm. It's no better or worse than conventional or traditional farming. Gotcha. So what are some reasons that um, growers might choose organic or traditional in your opinion? I mean, are they doing organic to kind of be more lucrative and to be more engaged with consumers? Like consumers want to buy organic products. So what are your thoughts there? You know, it's yes to both of them. You know, the consumer, we're going to produce what the consumer wants. The consumer wants organic, we'll grow organic. And also, you know, the premiums are there. You do get a little bit more money for growing organic. Um, you know, granted, there's a lot more inputs. You have, Instead of being able to use a herbicide, you're doing a lot more hand hoeing. So there's a lot more labor that goes into it. Um, when we were actually 100% organic, 80% uh, of our cost was actually labor. Um, now that our cherries are conventional, we've dropped that number down to about 73, 70% is labor. So organic is a great way to grow. It's just very labor intensive. And especially, you know, in light of what's happening right now, I don't know when this is going to record, but the H2A just shut down uh, this past week. So farmers are actually a little bit in a, we're going to be in a crisis mode coming up if we don't have a guest labor program open and working. Gotcha. Yeah, that's something that I've heard is kind of going on around the country. And yeah, I mean, with coronavirus going on right now in, in early March, I mean, the labor is going to be very interesting because you're going to have a lot of people out there still handling food. And I mean, we can't like build robots super quickly, quickly to get people out there and to pick all the produce. So that's very interesting. Right. I and mean, we actually even have um, automated pickers um, that have been in the works for about 10 years now, but they're still you know, glitches and problems to work out with them. But yeah, a lot of our fruits and vegetables that we grow are hand-picked and hand-harvested. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see where that comes. I mean, I think a lot more people may be going to um, traditional versus organic just because of the labor shortage. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So, all right, random question. I just thought about it, so I'm going to spring it on you. So I know you've got to be like certified organic and they Correct. come out and check your farm like two years before you get that certification. Is that right? Uh, you have to be three years. You have to grow organically okay. for three years before you're certified organic. And um, an organic inspection lasts all day. Basically, they come out to your farm. They choose, generally it's in the harvest, so it's not always the most convenient time. <laughs> but um, they'll go through every one of your spray records. 
um, literally, physically look at each and every spray record that you have. And then um, this is a new thing they're doing, which I actually think is pretty interesting. They'll randomly, um, they'll randomly take a chemical, you know, whatever, fertilizer mm -hmm. or, you know, lime salt or whatever. And then they'll see how much you said you've used and compare it to how much you've actually used in the shed. And you have to be within 5%. <laughs> oh, wow. So that is really in depth. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's in depth. And then, you know, after that, after they look at your spray records, then they go into the office part to make sure, you know, you're compliant with all of your paperwork for employees, LLNI, which is our worker safety, uh, program here. So it is quite intense. <laughs> I can imagine. Are, are you going through those same hoops with traditional, with the traditional side of it or no? Uh, yes, you do the same thing with traditional. It's just okay. not as with the organic, you know, they're, they're making sure that you are following everything to a T. Um, but actually another certification, which is actually even a little bit more difficult, I think, than uh, Washington State Organic is uh, Global Gap. Um, Global Gap is an international third-party safety program. So if I sell my fruit to, say, Albertsons or Walmart or someone like that who has a store in another country, having Global Gap certification will allow my fruit to cross international lines. Okay, okay, that's very neat. Um, all right, so what are some of the most common misconceptions that you think consumers have about organic farming and just traditional farming in general? Like, what are some common things that you that you kind of see? My biggest pet peeve, which I wish every consumer would know, is that not all of organic is the same. Just because it says organic does not mean it's the same. Every state has different standards. Every county has different standards. And most importantly, every country has different standards. You know, I, I, when people find out that I grow organic conventional and have a degree in chemistry, they always ask me, what do you buy your food? I make sure my food says USA that was grown here because <laughs> Some of the toughest standards. I mean, honestly, why would you go to the store and buy organic from a country where you are told don't drink the water? I just, do you really think they're watering their vegetables with, you know, something other than what they drink? I mean, come on. Yeah, they're importing like Dasani purified water to water their crops. And I had no, I had no idea that like dumping from like, for example, tomatoes from Mexico that that is a thing that they have these low, low price tomatoes that don't have nearly the same standards as tomatoes here in the U S and they just send them here and dump them. And that's why the price is so crazy. And they don't, they're not, I mean, sure they might be as healthy, but they don't have nearly the amounts of standards that we have here in the U S. Correct. Correct. And then, I mean, not just, you know, standards for growing, but also labor safety standards. I mean, a lot, especially here in Washington state, we're getting hammered pretty hard um, from the legislature. Uh, last year, one of our state senators called us slave owners. So mm -hmm. we've been getting a lot of, you know, heat for this, but yet, you know, we import food and buy food from countries that only pay their ag laborers, maybe $5 a day. Here in Washington State, we use a guest worker program. We have to pay at least $15 an hour, plus provide housing, plus provide transportation. I mean, you know, we are kind of the golden standard, you know, and let's support the people who are doing the job the way you want the job done. Right, exactly. That's a huge difference, $15 an hour and all like housing and all that stuff versus $5 a day. That's huge. I had no idea about that. Yeah, a typical, uh, in Mexico, the average pay is $5 a day for ag labor. Man, I can't imagine that. That is, and I mean, that's hard work too. That's out getting lettuce for like 12 hours a day in the hot field. 
That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So I, there's a question that I've been wondering because you know, all the, the random craft um, channels on Facebook and YouTube and the cooking ones. And they always show this random misinformation videos about like, Oh, there's actually wax in um, cheese or whatever. So there's one common thing that I've seen. Is there actually wax on apples? So actually, uh, if you buy an organic apple, no, it does not have wax on it. Um, traditional apples, conventional apples, some of them have. We've kind of gotten away from that. It's called Doc, uh, Johnson's wax. It's an edible wax. It's to make it look shiny. But consumers have really said that they don't want that as much. So we're kind of getting away from that in the industry. But an apple naturally produces wax on its skin for protection. So, you know, if you get an organic apple and you're like, man, this, there's a little bit of wax on this. That's what the apple did naturally. Mm, okay. Okay. And that, if, if, if the farmers apply wax to it, that really just kind of helps it stay preserved on the shelf longer, right? Right. And actually it's not the farmers applying the wax. When we, um, we pick the apples, it goes straight to the shed. Um, when the shed will get a big 900 pound bin of apples. Um, those apples will actually get uh, dunked into water so that when they roll out, they don't get bruised. And then um, they go along a water um, kind of trough where they get washed, cleaned, and waxed. Um, if you go to my YouTube page, April the Apple Gal, I have a video there that shows what happens to the apple when it's in the packing shed and how it gets packed. And that's actually where the wax comes on at. Oh, okay. That's pretty neat. Um, so uh, also a random question. Have you worked with GMO apples before? I know that there is one variety out there to where when you cut them, they don't oxidize as quickly. So do you have any experience with that? I do not. That's actually called the Arctic apple. And there's a whole bunch of different okay. varieties, Arctic, Gala, Arctic, um, Fuji, things like that. Mm -hmm. Those are actually grown only in Canada. The company that actually developed the GMO for Apple, um, they signed on to a Canadian farm and bought the rights to it. So as I actually looked into it because I thought it'd be pretty neat to grow, but one, Washington State won't let you grow a GMO next to an organic. And yeah, two, they wouldn't release it to the United States. So there is a GMO apple out there, but um, you actually can't buy it in the United States. Um, they're packing it. It's called apple sticks. So you can kind of buy it in the package, but I really haven't seen too much of it. I think it's still pretty much a Canadian apple, but yeah, it's great technology. Yeah. Yeah. That's so neat. Anytime I see somebody cut an apple, I just watch it oxidize. I'm like, where's the GMO apple? <laughs> that's an <laughs> The, um, there are some apples that are currently being bred that don't have that as much. Um, the Cosmic Crisp and the Evercrisp. Uh, those two apples, actually, if you cut them, they don't oxidize. And that was a natural bread program um, in, versus a GMO. So some apples don't oxidize as quickly as other ones. So that's another kind of interesting thing about apples. <laughs> okay, okay. Now you touch base on something very interesting, and that's that you can't grow GMO apples next to an organic apple production farm. So why exactly is that? Is it crossbreeding? What's the problem there? Uh, it's crossbreeding, and that's something that only happens in Washington State. I'm not sure about other states, but I know for Washington State organic, that is not allowed. Like in Hawaii, I know that they actually have um, the GMO papaya right next to the organic papaya, and that has done some great things. It's really helped them grow the organic papaya and keep bugs out in the way. But here in Washington State, we're not allowed to do it, and it's exactly because of crossbreeding. You know, the bees come in and pollinate 
you know, bee pollinates a GMO and then pollinates an organic, what happens if that seed might actually become a GMO? It's, it's a little too far down the line. But I mean, if you see where people, you know, especially here in Washington state, a lot of people throw apple cores on the side of, you know, hiking trails and you can see these crazy trees that just don't belong. I mean, most apple seeds, you're not going to grow to become a tree. They've got some crazy traits in there. Oh, wow. That's cool. I didn't know about the, the Hawaii GMO papayas next to the organic papayas. That yeah. There, yeah. There was a disease that uh, came in and affected uh, the papaya and it turned out that the GMO was resistant to this pest and they were able to save the organic crops by literally doing a ring of GMO around the organic crop. Oh, wow. That's pretty neat. Kind of combining technology and old school, regular organic papaya. That's really neat. I know. I think it's totally cool. I, I really think it's neat what technology is allowing us to do these days, especially in agriculture. Oh, yeah. So speaking of, speaking of technology, I know everybody's getting more and more environmentally conscious. We're trying to develop new technologies. So do you think organic production or traditional production are kind of environmentally focused or more consumer focused? What do you think? I think the organic movement right here in the United States is more consumer based and environmental based. Um, there are some practices uh, like if we could use herbicides and organic, that would prevent us from having to till up weeds uh, and just small things like that. But overall, I think agriculture is extremely sustainable, especially here in the United States. Um, you know, we're doing more with less all the time and just improving, uh, you know, different inputs that we have, you know, the fertilizer, you know, it's, it's impressive how we're, how micro focused our manure <laughs> is these days. <laughs> so, um, and it's just, it's making for some great fruit with less use of land. And, you know, most farmers, we're going to be sustainable. If we can't sustain our farm every year, both profitably and environmentally, we're not going to survive. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't know this and it's kind of obvious, but farmers don't get rich like very quickly at all. I mean, so if you aren't sustainable, if you're not doing the best production methods possible, you're going to go under. So it's definitely in the farmer's best interest to produce sufficiently, sustainably, and all that, all of that good stuff. Correct. Yeah. And especially now, um, farmers tend to be, our front, we're price takers. We're not price makers. We don't get to set the price. Um, I'm still waiting to see the returns from the apples that I harvested this last fall, which, and we're like, what, six, what, how many months away are we <laughs> from that <laughs> yeah. time? So yeah, gambling, you know, farming is definitely a bit of a gamble and you know, yeah, you have to be sustainable. You have to keep going. <laughs> There you go. So what do you think as a, as a farmer trying to show consumers how their food is being made and how healthy it is, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you've encountered trying to communicate consumers with what the ag industry is all about and how you aren't trying to hurt them, you're just trying to provide them with a safe food supply? Yeah, it's, it's you know, there is a lot of mixed messaging and misinformation out there. Um, especially, you know, I, I don't want to point anybody out but you know there are certain groups that are really banging the drum and just you know affecting animal you know agriculture which has a direct effect on me if animal agriculture goes away I no longer have manure if we no longer have manure we no longer have organic farming so you know farming in all of its aspects from row crop to livestock it's important that we have all three of them 
they're important, they're cyclical, you know, we can't grow our food without manure. Um, so I really just wish people would understand that a little bit better, you know, just because you have a certain diet that you abide by, don't bully someone else into going by what you want to eat. I think everyone should have the choice to eat what they want to eat. And, you know, food is grown very cleanly and very safely in the United States. True, we're not growing it in a lab, but this is nature, you know, nature happens. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we do the best we can, but, you know, we do what we can. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is a very good point. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're vegan, if you're carnivore, if you're pescatarian or whatever, just everybody has their own dietary needs and just respect what everybody's diet is. Yeah, exactly. You know, and here's the thing. I really don't have a problem with Impossible Burger. You know, if you want to eat something, you know, it's, it's coming from soys and lentils, which is another form of, you know, agriculture. I have no problem with that. The one that I do have a little bit of an issue with is lab-grown meat. Um, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, we yeah. have a that is doing good for the environment by, you know, upcycling cellulose grass that we can eat, keeping it trimmed. So it's, you know, not a wildfire hazard, keeping it, you know, healthy so that it's not overgrown so we can get maximum photosynthesis and carbon sequestration. And I just don't think people realize how much we depend on our livestock, you know, for environmental health. Oh, yeah. And I saw some post, I think they were at some convention, it was the impossible company. And they had some banner that said, our goal is to completely replace the livestock industry. I'm like, that's not ever going to happen. There's always going to be livestock, especially in lower developed countries where they rely on the livestock for, um, for, for, for meat, for shelter, for clothing, for everything. So they're never going to replace the livestock. But I think it's great that they're creating another item that consumers can buy at the store. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, all right. So it's 2020. It's, there's a lot of random misinformation out there, AKA fake news. Where do you see the farmer consumer relationship right now? Do you think it's better? Do you think it's worse? Do you think both sides can work on some things? What do you think? Um, you know, it's definitely gotten a little bit worse from where it was, say, you know, 50 years ago when we had more farmers and, you know, we were only once removed from the farm. We're now three or four times removed from the farm as far as the consumer is. So, you know, it is important that we get the information out there about what we're doing. I think there's even less than 2% of the American population is farming right now. So we really need to, as farmers, since there's so few of us, we really need to get out there and, you know, get better at explaining what we're doing on the farm. You know, we can't just be hermits and say, you know, well, I'm here with my livestock and I'm here with my trees and, you know, I'm going to keep growing fruit. No, the consumer has a right to know what they're ingesting and how we farm. And, you know, that's just part of our job now is to, you know, better communicate, you know, what we're doing. And it's also, I think, important for the consumer to not go down rabbit holes and get, you know, caught up in the misinformation. You know, if you want to know about something, go to the source. You know, I am here. I know there are tons of farmers on social media who would love to answer any consumer questions that you have, but just go to the source. You know, I love giving tours about what I'm doing on the farm. You know, I'll even break away during harvest to give you a tour to show what's happening, but it's important to go to the source, you know, not some rabbit hole on social media. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Now you bring up a good point, your tours. So I know agritourism is a huge thing. I mean, consumers can go and see what exactly goes on to on, on, on at a farm. Have you had any like aha moments on any ag tours that you've given where people are like, oh my goodness, now it makes sense. Now I understand what's going on. Um, you know, I, I have in a way, but <laughs> some of those aha moments were more with bankers than they were uh, with okay. Um, yeah, we were just talking about, um, we, one year we had to, uh, we had crop insurance for our cherries because we had mildew that came and take over. And so we were out in the orchard and I was explaining, you know, how the mildew passes the tree and go along and you could just see them like, oh my gosh, I get it. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. And, um, you know, we do is, uh, the tours we're doing now, like we don't have the traditional trees that are big. We're kind of going really straight rows now and so when people come out they're expecting to see a traditional tree but then when they see what we're doing they're like oh it makes sense now i see why you're getting so many more apples per acre okay well that's really cool i mean that's a good experience to have though all right well yeah <laughs> well april this has been so cool learning about your production methods kind of your thoughts on organic versus traditional so I know you're huge on Twitter. That's where we found you. You've got a lot of followers. If people want to follow you and see what you're doing, see how you're producing apples and cherries, where can they go to follow you? Uh, so like you said, on Twitter, I'm April the Apple Gal. And then also I have a YouTube page, which is also April the Apple Gal. Um, our farm, Red Apple Orchards, has on Facebook. And then you can find me, April Clayton, on Facebook and Instagram. All right. Well, we will definitely check out your social media stuff. April, thanks so much for being on. We will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Trevor. I had a blast. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.